Good afternoon and welcome to the January Series 2009. My name is Ben Arndt and I am the Associate Director of Admissions and Financial Aid here at Calvin. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, you are good. You are expressive. You are creative. And because we bear your image, you have allowed us through your grace to be these things as well. You have given lavishly to us through your gift of music. And as we experience the presentation today, allow us to know more of your character and your goodness to us. Amen. And now the executive associate to the president, Darlene Myring, will introduce today's presenter. Good afternoon and welcome. We last welcomed the Xavier Davis Trio to this stage um, on, in the fall of 2003 when they played on the Calvin Artist Series, and we're so glad to have them back once again. Xavier Davis was born in Grand Rapids to area musicians Dwayne and Kay Davis. When he was four, Kay began teaching him piano, and in the third grade, he began the private study on the trombone. He was a member of the St. Cecilia Junior Orchestra and the Grand Rapids Youth Symphony and attended high school at the Interlochen Arts Academy. It was there that he developed a love for the nuances and language of jazz. He received his bachelor's degree from Western Michigan University where he studied piano with Dr. Stephen Zagree. There he performed in the Gold Company the Western Michigan University Jazz Orchestra, and Gold Company II. He was also a member of Groove Tet. In 1993, Davis was recognized as a Presser Scholar, an outstanding music scholar by the faculty of the Western Michigan University School of Music. Xavier was named as outstanding soloist in the Notre Dame Jazz Festival in 1992 and 1993, and since has continued to stack up prizes, including the Gilmore International Keyboard Festival's Emerging Artists Grant, which first brought him to study in New York City. In his 15 years as part of the New York jazz scene, he has made his mark as a composer, arranger, and jazz pianist, and has worked and recorded with jazz greats such as the late Betty Carter, Regina Carter, Tom Harrell, Freddie Hubbard, Wynton Marsalis, and a host of others. During the 1999-2000 season, he served as musical director for the Boys Choir of Harlem, he played keyboard for the Cosby television series and has led numerous piano masterclasses, clinics, and workshops. He has played for the Manhattan Project and the New York Voices to much acclaim. In 2000 and 2005, Xavier Davis received grants from the Doris Duke Foundation to compose extended works of new music and is the first person to be awarded that prestigious grant twice. In the fall of 2008, he joined the teaching faculty of the Juilliard School. He also plays and tours internationally, writes music for national television commercials, and is currently working on a music for a PBS documentary. He has two CDs, The Dance of Life and Innocence of Youth, with fresh sounds and new talent records. He lives outside New York City with his wife Amy, son Joshua, and daughter Isabella. Xavier is joined today by the same two guys he was here with a few years ago, Ugona Okewo on bass and his brother, Quincy Davis, on drums. Xavier will address us through the spoken word and the language of music about the language of jazz. Calvin College is grateful to Israel's Designs for Living for underwriting today's presentation. Please join me in welcoming Xavier Davis and the Xavier Davis Trio.
Thank you. Thank you very much. Tall Strutton. Please keep your hands together for Quincy Davis on the drums. And Ugona Okego on the bass. So what are we doing up here? What in the world are we doing? Well, um, I called this the language of jazz because what we're doing up here is actually talking. We're just using a different language. I'm, if anyone that knows me uh, well knows that I love languages and I'm always interested in that, which is a perk of what I do. I travel all over the world and I like to take a chance to, to uh, learn you know, a couple of words in each language when I get a chance to. Um, because I, I let it, you get an insight into the people and how people are thinking and people appreciate it as well. You can communicate on a deeper level if you can get deeper into that language. And so we're communicating in what we'll call the language of jazz, which has a very rich history and it's from this country and um, there are a lot of things, I guess, if I were to uh, just speak to uh, you. What's your name? Jared. And what'd you have for breakfast this morning? Pop-tarts? Okay. All right, so, uh, <laughs> pop-tarts, okay. Um, and, uh, was it blueberry or strawberry? Frosted brown sugar. Okay, sounds 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 kind of good. All right. So, and uh, let's see. What uh, what time was that about? Ten o'clock. Okay. <laughs> so, we just had a conversation. I just met Jared just now, and we were able to speak. And that was actually an improvised com conversation. We didn't talk about, okay, you say this, and then I'll say this, and you respond this way. That's what we're doing up here a lot of the times. I picked a topic, I talked about breakfast. And the topic could be the piece of music that we're playing, that's the topic. And there'll be a format. Um, the format in this case is the two of us going back and forth. And if someone else, is jo else joins, then that kind of expands that format or this, the platform. Um, so the reason we're able to have this conversation is because we both speak English and we're familiar with not only the language but the nuances of the language. Like if he responded, um, to a question, uh, if I said, do you like Pop-Tarts? And he said, mm-hmm. He didn't use a word, but I still would understand that. There's, there are a lot of nuances that we have in language that enable us to get into a, a deeper understanding beyond just vocabulary and grammar. And we're kind of expanding on that up on stage with just the sounds that we hear. If, if I say, mm-hmm. That's, that's a sound that, that there's no grammar, that's not grammatically correct or incorrect, it's just a sound but still part of our language. And that's really um, the beginnings of jazz. We're improvising and we have a common language. Uh, I'll talk more about it later, but I just, I just want to give you an idea so you know what to listen for and to watch for when we're up here. We're, we do have music, which is the subject, uh, a piece of music, you know, I'll say, let's play, we just played Tall Strutton. So that was, uh, it, uh, it was a piece that, uh, over the solos, it became what's called a 24-bar blues. So the format kept repeating, and uh, Ugona first took a solo, and he had some things to say about Tall Strutton, whatever, you know, and Pop-Tarts. <laughs> 
Really? <laughs> Ogona is originally from Germany. He just said uh, 15 years ago he didn't know what that was. So now he knows what Pop-Tarts are. <laughs> and uh, speaking of that, I have to, I have to say this. I'm, I'm proud of him. I've, we've, I've known him since, uh, since 97. We started working with Tom Harrell together. And um, he moved to the United States from Germany in 1989. So he's been here for a long time. And as of, I don't know, about 10 days ago or something, he has become a United States citizen. So. <laughs> so anyway, we, I digress. Uh, I'd like to play something else, and as, as you're listening to us, just think about some of the things that I was just talking about, and if you have questions, feel free anytime. I mean, I'll have a, a formal question and answer at the end, the last 15, 10, 15 minutes, but I, uh, you know, any, I'm open to, I, I don't know how familiar you, get, you guys are with jazz or what kind of questions you have, so I'm here for you. <laughs> Let's play... Uh, we're going to play uh, a piece by my brother, a drummer that writes music. <laughs> He's actually pretty good. He's very good. I, uh, I featured this on my second CD, and this one is called The Day Will Come. <laughs> I have the microphone. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. So um, I've thought a little bit about, and this is, these are just my opinions about these things. So this is one person, and take it or leave it. Add it to your list of stuff you heard. <laughs> but um, I, I've thought about how jazz, the language of jazz, came about. And um, it's really, it's, it's hard to figure out. I mean, how does any language come? I, I, when I was in Finland, the first time I went to Finland, I said, where's this language from? How does it, you know, it's, it's, it's not like any of the countries that are near it. It's not like a Scandinavian language. It's not like, a, Russian, which is on the other side, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's like, so the origin of languages is really uh, an interesting thing. And so the language of jazz, we know 
somewhat the history of jazz. We know that it's um, um, basically it's come out of, out of the African American experience. Although anyone can play it, and anyone who wants to take the time and energy to learn it and and um, and be committed to it um, can play this music because it's an American art form. Um, but understanding where it's come from is very important to being true to that tradition and helping it move forward. So knowing that, um, I thought about you know just the people that it came from, how uh, African Americans have the language, uh, the dialects that are in the African American community, how that have has uh, brought itself into jazz. Um, and so I guess going back, way back, to when, when there were slaves um, and they weren't allowed to use their native tongues and they were, of course, they had to learn to speak English, but there was, they, weren't, they didn't learn in a classroom setting. Or, so there are a couple things that led to the way that the language was spoken back then, um, that it wasn't taught in a formal setting, and also that um, when you're, if, if, if you can speak another language, you can kind of hide things. Like if Ugona wants to say something in German, unless there's people that speak German, he can tell someone something and they don't know what he said. So. Um, the slaves, they could do that before, but when you're not allowed to use your language, then you have to figure out other ways to communicate and still be secretive and make your plans or whatever you need to do. Um, so they figured out ways to use English and be creative in that um, and still be, uh, have people not understand what they're saying. Um, which I think has continued and to, to this day we have um, uh, in hip-hop which has also come out of the African-American community um, you have people like Snoop Dogg that will say for shizzle and the first time you hear that which is old now but the first time people heard that they, shizzle what is that and it, it means sure for sure which that phrase, if you translate it literally, doesn't mean for sure. It means yes. It's if someone says, "Are you are you going to the store for shizzle?" And and so, but you, it, so it language is more than just knowing the um, the direct translations. You have to know the intent of what's being said. And there's, I think, a lot of the. Um, what language also helps you do is, is it builds a trust between people. So if, if you're a slave and you know that someone understands when you have these kind of codes of speaking, then you can kind of trust them. You know that they're, they're not against you, they're going to help you. And it's the same thing on the bandstand. If I'm on stage and I meet someone uh, for the first time musically and you know, we don't know each other, but if I hear them play certain things, I know that they've listened to a lot of the same recordings that I've listened to. So I can relax because I'm not going to have to, like, worry about is he going to pick up or she going to pick up on these, um, these hits that I play. If I play... Um, You know, which is just a little phrase that you often hear. Um, and there's a lot of little things like that because it, it, it really is a language. And it's, it's something that the more you listen to it, the more you're going to hear things over and over. Just like the way we learned English. You hear things over and over. You hear your name over and over. Oh, that must be my name because every time they say it, they look at me. You know. And so learning jazz is very similar to learning any spoken language. Um, I don't know, I'm kind of just, these are my thoughts, uh, they're, you know, just, uh, do you have any questions about 
or any ideas, disagreements or agreements or anything? Any questions about like what we've done so far or what we're thinking or aren't thinking? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, he, that's, that's the composer side. So uh, he, he said that he thought he heard some influences from the great pianist Herbie Hancock, uh, Tell Me a Bedtime Story, which is a, a piece of his that definitely, there are sections of this that are reminiscent of that. So I would agree. Well done. <laughs> uh, yes. in the rotation, notation. notation. Um, there, well, there can be. Sometimes it's, things can be written on, there are different degrees to how written out music is in jazz, from not written out at all to completely written out, where there are sections where someone hears something very literally and they'll say, I want these notes, I want these chords to be played like this, in this section, and then the next section, maybe it's less written out. Um, but it depends on how how literal the the composer hears the music. Um, the The actual notes are the exact same notes. I mean, music is music. Um, Western music, in particular, it it doesn't matter if it's jazz or classical or country or hip hop. It, it's it's all the same. Those are the same twelve notes. When you get into other, you know, non-Western music, then you have more than 12 notes often. And that's a whole different thing. We're not going to talk about that today. <laughs> but the, so the notes are the same. But we do, we use chord symbols a lot, which um, early classical music, musicians actually improvised quite, quite a bit. Bach improvised a lot. And for some reason, when people play Bach now, they don't. But um, I guess because it's hard to compete with what he did. <laughs> um, but they used um, figured bass, which is a type of notating chords and, and harmony. And we, we use, you know, similar things, but it's not jazz, jazz notation, or, you know, it's just more common, I guess, in jazz. Hi, John Lee. <laughs> Oh, oh, thank you, thank you. She uh, she mentioned a piece that I wrote for my wife. I, I uh, well maybe we'll we'll play. Uh, I I wrote a piece. I've written a few pieces for my wife. I I wrote one actually last year that I played, and I'll uh, I'll play that. It's called "For the Love of Amy." Her parents are here, right? up there. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. <laughs> I'm home now.
Um, you know, I actually want to play a little bit more, if you don't mind.
Pieced by the great Thelonious Monk, and that one is called Four and One. And it's a little quirky, fun tune. Um, now I'd like to go into more formal question and answer, I guess. I have a question here. I would like to know how would you characterize uh, the jazz that you're playing, which is beautiful, with some of the jazz that you hear today, smooth jazz, in some of the bigger cities. Um, could you put that in words for me? How I mean, the differences between those, please. Sure. Um, what what is often termed smooth jazz is um, generally it's it's more of um, it's more R and B actually, uh, rhythm and blues. Um, with instead of a vocalist, they have a soprano saxophone or an alto or a tenor saxophone usually, or sometimes a guitar. Um, but it's not necessarily uh, sticking as closely to the jazz tradition as as what we're doing right now. Which is not, it's not not saying anything bad about that type of music, um, but it is confusing when they do call it smooth jazz. So. Also, also the instrumentation. Instrumentation with uh, smooth jazz is more electric, whereas it, this, this setting is more acoustic. So that's another. Uh, Everyone could hear that? Yes. Or no? uh, okay. Um, he said smooth jazz tends to be more electric as far as the instrumentation, electric bass, keyboards, um, and um, yeah, just more um, amplified sound. And we're we're we try to be as acoustic as possible. I mean, in a venue like this, you need to you need some amplification, so that uh, uh, because it's it's because of the, the size of the room. But it's basically acoustic music. Next, hi Xavier. Hello. Your father taught me vocal jazz in high school. Oh, wonderful! And I remember <laughs> when you were. <laughs> anyway, question. Um, my dad played. John Coltrane, Charlie Parker, since all through the house, every day, all day, and they are some of my biggest influences. Who, all three of you, are some of your your influences, jazz artists, growing oh, up? I'll start since I have the mic, and then I'll pass it along. Um, my first big influence on the uh, th that really made me start wanting to play this music um, was a pianist named Winton Kelly. And uh, he, uh, when I heard him, there was something about his playing that just made me want to play. He, he's, he has, I think he would have a hard time not swinging. You know, everyone else is working on trying to swing and like, oh man, I got, you know, I got to stay in the groove. I think he just woke up like that, just, <laughs> just, you know, he would mess up and it would be swinging, you know. And uh, he, he was made, he made, uh, a name for himself with the Miles Davis Quintet, the first famous Miles Davis Quintet with Paul Chambers and um, Philly Joe, 
Jones on uh, Paul Chambers on bass, Philly Joe Jones on drums, and um, uh, Hank Mobley or, or who, who else? Um, Miles is first quintet. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course John Coltrane replaced him. Um, so that was my first influence, and then a few years later, that I was I think a freshman in high school when I heard heard him for the first time, and then I heard this pianist Mulgrew Miller, who was a more contemporary pianist, um, and I first there was something in his sound that I ident identified with the language that he was using. Again, the language, um, although we're all speaking the language of jazz, we all have our own voices. And there was something about his voice that the way he was phrasing things, I was, it, it sounded like something I wanted to be able to do or I, I would be able to do if I, if, I, uh, if I were at his level. And so uh, uh, he was, those were my first two. And then everyone else, I mean, it, you know, when you're young, every week you have a new favorite pianist or new musician. Oh, okay. I guess I have more of a, a comment than a question. Mm -hmm. I, I just think it's very, um, I think we're all very blessed to have you here today. And well, thank you very much. I'm blessed to be here. And I'm sure many uh, jazz lovers, including myself, are deeply saddened by the loss of uh, Freddie Hubbard recently. And um, I think it's just a great pleasure to have you here today and to be able to witness someone who's played with one of the greats. Uh, yeah, Freddie Hubbard. He, he uh, although you know, in his later years, his his chops, he was having problems with his lips. Um, he had brought us so much music over the years that just to be on the same stage with him, uh, he, there was something about, you know, when you're on stage with someone like that, you can feel the history of jazz, and it, it it's hard to not. You want to play the best. You want to keep moving it forward. You just, you, uh, you don't want to drop the ball. So definitely, Freddie Hubbard was, uh, you know, a great, uh, great influence. And I mean, of not just all the trumpet players, you know, that have listened to him, but just all the musicians around. I don't know, you guys. Any words? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I guess our time is up. <laughs> Thank you very much. I want to thank Christy Potter for and the the the, uh, the series for bringing me, bringing us, and it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you for being a wonderful audience. <laughs>